and welcome to Misinformation, the trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was gentle. Mm. It was beautiful. Well, sing songy. Yeah, that's great. People love it when we sing, right? I don't know. <laughs> we haven't gotten any like any like angry rejections from people yet. No, but we also haven't gotten any like, keep singing, ladies. Ooh, you guys are... <laughs> The voices of angels. (laughs) Um, So we are recording the week after uh, Labor Day weekend. Yes. And you and I both kind of did some traveling separately from each other. We went went around New New England, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I was in New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, And Steve and I were visiting with our friend Carly. Shout out to Carly, who's a listener of the podcast. Hey, Carly. (laughs) And if you are a listener of the podcast, you can have us stay with you in your major city anytime you want. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we have a pre-existing relationship with Carly. Uh, so we stayed with her in New York because specifically I really wanted to see the Heavenly Body show at the Met. Of course you did. Because I am a fashion fanatic. And I do this thing when I'm at an exhibit that I really want to see or have been looking forward to where I walk in and I just like, like there is mm-hmm. a smoky silhouette of Lauren like taking off like a Wiley e. Coyote yes cartoon. like a Wiley e. Coyote situation the Roadrunner really oh the Roadrunner yeah because yeah. the Wiley e. Coyote is not fast enough no to catch the Roadrunner he, he does have the ability to like levitate that when is he, true when he runs too far off a cliff though <laughs> for brief moments though <laughs> keep that in mind everybody that's cartoon physics uh but we went and saw the show and uh, what was special about this one, if you've ever seen a Met costume show, is that usually Met costume shows are relegated to a certain gallery and then you go in and sometimes there's an upcharge, but most of the time there is not. So you walk through the galleries and you ooh and ah and it's basically like $100 bills stapled to the walls <laughs> because they spend so much money on those exhibits. Uh, but this time, because it was about um, like the influence of the Catholic Church on fashion, mm-hmm. Um, they put the mannequins and the clothing and the accessories throughout their medieval galleries and they were stunning. I, I must've looked like an absolute crazy person. I had my phone out because you could take pictures in the galleries. And every time I turned a corner, it was like they were all kind of incorporated in with the permanent collection. Yeah. So you'd turn a corner and suddenly there would be a Dolce & Gabbana on a giant pedestal rising to the ceiling on a venerative mannequin with a beautiful light and like, ah, beautiful music. And I would be like, shut up. Oh my God. I was like, oh, I hate this. It's so they're like, good. They're like mothers with their children. Like, let's stay away from that crazy <laughs> like, lady. Murmuring to myself like, She's oh, Tourette's. so good. So good. Like, I just, I don't know what it is. The older I get, when I love something, to the, it reaches a clot, like a point, And then I, it suddenly t- curdles and I hate it. <laughs> like, I hate it and I love it at the same time because it's just oh. like so good. <laughs> <laughs> just me? Probably just me. But anyway. <laughs> It was beautiful. I highly recommend it. If you're anywhere in the tri-state area, you should definitely go see the Heavenly Body Show before it closes at the end of October. Um, we had great weather. It was very beautiful. Um, so while I was there, I was inspired. Yes. And I was like, well, should I do another episode on fashion? Because this was very, very fashion. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I did a whole episode on fashion and that wasn't super popular. <laughs> <laughs> We all learned a lot from no, that. No, we did learn a lot. and But it's not one of our most listened to episodes. Sure. Our early ones. 
or, True. Cut, or hit and miss. Absolutely. If you haven't listened to some of our earlier episodes, I'm going to, I'm going to give a shout out to my wives of Henry the eighth oh, episode it's so good. It's a jewel. and my Marie Curie episode that That's like are one. very low on our listens, but I think they are great. And you learn a lot with those too. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely hit up our, our back catalog. <laughs> But and then I was thinking maybe I should do something about like the Catholic Church or whatever. And I was like, no, I do a lot of like churchy Aww. shit. Um, sorry, Dad. <laughs> um, so I was like, what can I do? And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna lean into it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna lean into my interests. I'm not gonna try and like play to the crowd. I'm not trying to make everybody happy. So today I'm going to be doing an episode called "Make It Up As You Go Along: The History of Cosmetics." I think we've all been waiting for this. Good. I've been waiting for it. It was very easy to do because it was super interesting. So um, people like Dave Tag, who was like, should I just not listen to it? Do you want me to just let your mom listen to it solo? I was like, no, you're going to learn things, Dave Tag. Just because you don't personally wear makeup does not mean that makeup is not interesting. So... (laughs) Turn we'll it al- up. We'll also put in the notes uh, at what point the quiz starts. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You know what? They're going to have to suffer through it, and it's going to be funny and entertaining. Okay, maybe now I've oversold. <laughs> this is going to be the this worst. This is one. the best freaking podcast oh you've ever God. heard of about makeup. Makeup. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are podcasts out there about makeup. There's podcasts about everything. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the makeup stuff ends up more on like YouTube. True, because it's a visual medium. <laughs> But there are art podcasts, too, which is like so crazy to me. Um, Either way. okay. so history of cosmetics. Um, Cosmetics as like a concept spans about 7000 years and is present in almost every society on Earth. Not necessarily like as a beautification. A lot of times it's ritual, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So cosmetic body art is argued to have been the earliest form of a ritual in human culture. Uh, The evidence for this comes in the form of utilized red mineral pigments, which are known as red ochre. Remember that? Um, Including crayons associated with the emergence of Homo sapiens in Africa. Um, So over the centuries, women used burnt matches to darken their eyes, berries to stain their lips, and young boys' urine to fade their freckles. Oh, you had me until the urine. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it worked. I couldn't see any evidence of like... It, it working. I don't know what it is about young boys. I don't know if it's like the prepubescent <laughs> thing that really like, but that's mm, unhealthy. Also, they even swallowed ox blood in some misguided attempt to improve their complexions. Huh. Something about, it seems like virility. Like there's a sure. lot of like, like little boys urine and like ox blood. There must be like some sort of like testosterone element to this that they weren't like entirely aware of. Anyway, this will not get super gross. I promise okay. you. So no worries. Um, archaeological evidence of cosmetics certainly dates from ancient Egypt and Greece. According to one source, early major developments included the use of castor oil in ancient Egypt as a protective balm and skin creams made of beeswax, olive oil, and rose water described by the Romans. Hmm. The ancient Greeks also used cosmetics. Cosmetics are mentioned in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 9.30, where Jezebel is described as painting her eyelids. Uh, which was approximately 840 BC. And the book of Esther describes various beauty treatments as well. Cosmetics were also used in ancient Rome, although much of Roman literature suggests that it was frowned upon. And this is a um, 
You'll catch this as like a common thread. Mm. Uh, it is known that some women in ancient Rome invented makeup, including lead-based formulas to whiten the skin, and coal was used to line the eyes, which I will mention. Um, uh, coal is a mixture of metal, lead, copper, ash, and burnt almonds. Coal is oh. uh, K-O-H-L. And uh, eyeliner... Um, Certain eyeliners are still referred to as coal, but I right. highly doubt that, that they, they have are made of copper ash and burnt <laughs> almonds in them. Yeah. Uh, so the use of cosmetics in ancient Egypt is well documented. Um, coal, as mentioned before, and lacewing flies have their roots in North Africa as used as like an eye makeup. Lacewing flies? Lacewing mm. flies. I'm assuming it was their, not their not carcass, their, their carcasses and not necessarily um, you're not gluing. They're not gluing live lacewing flies. Some money <laughs> and then put some lacewing flies on the tips of your eyelashes. Yeah, uh, for some really natural looking. Falsies. Isn't that in Harry Potter lacewing fly? I'm I'm googling uh, it right now and I'm oh, seeing this. That might be something that is in a potion. Oh, okay. Um, lacewing flies have like lacy wings, so I'm wondering if they were if lacewing flies were used as like. Um, like false eyelashes. That's what I just said. Yeah. Did you just say that? Yeah. Sorry, I was Googling at the time. Um, I'm going to credit this to Julia. She said fake eyelashes before I did. Everyone remember that. I said they take some honey oh, and put I them on the end mm-hmm. and then just stick them on the end. We should make that happen again. I mean, PETA would come after us. Yeah, they would. But like fake lace wing. I mean, if, <laughs> if J-Lo could wear like mink, mink. eyelashes, remember mm-hmm. that? That was like the hotness. Mink eyelashes are like a legitimate thing. People have been using that for a long time. Sure. I mean, not not humane. I mean, mm. that's terrible, but either way. It's not fresh mink. It's not it's not fresh mink. It's not like yeah. Oh, I'm not gonna describe it. Um anyway, remedies to treat wrinkles contained ingredients such as gum of frankincense and fresh moringa, which is a fruit. Moringa. Moringa. Uh jars of what could be compared with setting lotion have been found to contain a mixture of beeswax and resin. Uh, these doubled as remedies for problems such as baldness and graying hair. Man, what can't beeswax do? I know, right? It's like the coconut oil of the Egyptian times. <laughs> Which, I don't know if you saw, like there were a bunch of articles that they were like, by the way, coconut oil is not good for you. Yeah. Can actually cause acne. Will give you high cholesterol. Will clog up your heart and give you a heart attack at 33. You know, like that kind of thing. Suddenly <laughs> coconut oil is the devil. So, don't use coconut oil anymore. Mm, big coconut is uh big coconut's coming after <laughs> yes. us we're gonna lose all of our sponsorship from big coconut it's all over but we bring the truth to you guys uh they also use these products on their mummies because they believe that it would make them irresistible in the afterlife what about their daddies oh my god <laughs> that's oh all from god. us ladies and gentlemen <laughs> that's it i'm out there's no more for me you're doing this solo, <laughs> Novakovic. All right. <clears throat> Cleopatra. Uh, she used lipstick that got its hue from ground carmine beetles, mm. uh, while other women used red ochre, which is clay mixed with water to color their lips. Okay. Uh, carmine beetles are still used in high-end cosmetics. Yep. And also uh, textile dyes. I was just thinking of Carmex. Yes. Ooh, I, w- I, I wonder don't if think. They, or if the name maybe came maybe. from it, something. Because Carmex is like petroleum based and carmine beetles oh, are okay. definitely like when you crush them, they, they turn like a beautiful vermilion red. Not that uh, I'm suggesting that that's the only way to get red lipstick. But at the time, like that mm. was the it. Man, there was a lot of beetle crushing over in Mesopotamia. I mean, there were a lot of them, you know? I feel like they were like, we got to do something about it these beetles. It was like a plague of beetles. Exactly. 
Um, I'm going to go through a couple of countries, as a matter of oh, fact, great. to kind of talk about their uh, cosmetic processes. Uh, cosmetics were used in Persia, uh, present-day Iran, from ancient periods. Um, so coal was used as a powder or smeared to darken the edges of the eyelids, similar to eyeliner. Uh, after Persian tribes converted to Islam and conquered those areas, in some areas, cosmetics were only restricted if they were to disguise the real look in order to mislead or cause uncontrolled desire. Mm -hmm. In Islamic law, despite these requirements, there is no absolute prohibition on wearing cosmetics. The cosmetics must not be made of substances that harms one's body, however. Mm. Um, A lot of uh, Muslim women, uh, they do a ritual cleaning and they have to be able to clean all parts of themselves so they can't wear nail polish because their nails are not um, like exposed to the the holy water. Mm -hmm. So... um, Orly, the brand Orly, has created breathable nail polish. And it's marketed like wildly as like healthy for your nails, like lets your nails breathe. Yeah. But it's originally marketed by like created by a Muslim woman so that she could wear nail polish while she was doing her ritual clean like cleaning during holidays. Oh, I had no idea. Isn't that interesting? So it's it's actually breathable, like it's it's porous. Um, it like holds up. I think I have a bottle of it, like I accidentally bought it or it was on sale or whatever. I don't notice any difference, but it's definitely like a thing. So I thought that was really cool. Um, An early teacher in the 10th century was uh, Abul al-Qasim al-Zarahi, or uh, Abul Qasis, who wrote the 24-volume medical encyclopedia Al-Tazrif. A chapter of the 19th volume was dedicated to cosmetics. Uh, As the treatise was translated into Latin, the cosmetic chapter was used in the West. Al-Zarahi considered cosmetics a branch of medicine, which he called the medicine of beauty. Uh, he deals with perfumes, scented aromatics, and incense. And there were perfume sticks rolled and pressed into special molds, perhaps the earliest antecedents of present-day lipstick and solid deodorants. Uh, he also used oily substances called adhan for medication and beautification. Uh, Chinese people began to stain their fingernails with gum, Arabic, gelatin, beeswax, and egg white from around 3000 BC. The colors used represented social class, the Chu dynasty from the first millennium. Uh, Royals wore gold and silver. Later royals wore black or red. Uh, The lower classes were forbidden to wear bright colors on the nails at all. Hmm. Um, This is really interesting. Flowers play an important decorative role in China. Legend has it that once on the seventh day of the first lunar month, while Princess Xu Yang, daughter of Emperor Wu of Li Song, was resting under the eaves of Hanzhong Palace near the plum trees, after wandering in the gardens, a plum blossom drifted down onto her fair face, leaving a floral imprint on her forehead that enhanced her beauty further. The court ladies were said to be so impressed that they started decorating their own foreheads with a small, delicate plum blossom design. This is also the mythical origin of the floral fashion, which is called mihua zhuang, literally plum blossom makeup. And this is still done today. Um, And I looked it up. I was like, I don't think I've ever heard of this. And I googled, googled. But it's... um, it's a beauty practice where it's like a very pale face um, and very like pretty pink lips mm-hmm. and um, dark, like sort of like winged eyeliner okay. type thing. And then blush, but at the, at the temples instead okay. of on the cheeks. Mm-hmm. And then a little red like flower drawn in the middle of the forehead. Oh. And that's something that's still, it's traditional. It's a yeah. traditional beauty practice. Um, but it's still done today. If you like Google some images, it's very beautiful. Oh, neat. And there are some cosmetics like they're kind of, they kind of look like um, water transfer, like temporary tattoos okay. that you can buy that you can like put on your forehead and make it into a thing. Well, that's cool. It's very sweet. 
Um, so in Japan, geisha wore lipstick made of crushed safflower petals to paint the eyebrows and edges of the eyes as well as the lips. And sticks of bensuke wax, a softer version of the sumo wrestler's hair wax, were used by geisha as a makeup base. Oh. So it's like a primer. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Multi-purposing. Multi-purpose, yes, exactly. Uh, rice powder colors the face and back. Actually, rice powder is still used in um, Asian um, makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a brand called... Uh, Tata Harper and she makes this beautiful rice like setting powder and Mm -hmm. all of the makeup artists on YouTube are crazy about it's like $75 it's crazy yeah when your sister was here and she wanted some powder yeah uh, she wanted some cornstarch Mm -hmm. but I didn't have cornstarch so she used tapioca flour on her face and And it it worked worked. she was matte like the gods it was beautiful (laughs) she was like yeah you gotta do what you gotta do so there's a there's a tip yeah kitchen pantry tip for your (laughs) yeah use Tapioca powder, it's great for absorbing the oils. Not tapioca pudding. That probably... It would be delicious, though. um, It'd smell really good, too. Only for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) You can't just slap that on the face and go about your day. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Be very gross. Um, Rouge. No, you're fine. (laughs) Uh, Rouge was used to contour the eye socket and define the nose. So it's kind of like... I love that eye socket contour. Oh, just a beautiful eye socket contour. It seems like it was a... Yeah, it was a contour, but it was red and so i'm assuming it so was looks like, like you had allergies all the time <laughs> to like define it how deep set your <laughs> eyes are and how thin and beautiful your nose is ohagura which is a black paint it colors the teeth for the geisha ceremony called what? arike um so uh japanese women especially j- geisha mm-hmm. and um it w- it became because geisha were considered um like high-end um, entertainers. Okay. To this day, geisha is like, it's a multi-step process. You have to be an apprentice for years. Right. It's like a whole thing. Um, they were considered sex workers, mm-hmm. um, but now no longer, but they were still considered, they were considered sex workers, but they were like high-end okay. escort yeah. type things mm-hmm. and they were respected. Right. Um, so geisha were kind of like, they were the trendsetters mm-hmm. for fashion and beauty and they would use black paint to cover their teeth. So there are a couple of reasons for this that I had to like look up because I was like, meh. Um, Because I do know that blackening teeth in Europe during a certain time period was hot for like a minute because um, if you had black teeth naturally, it meant you were rich enough to afford sugar and therefore your teeth were rotting out of your face. But that's a separate thing. What? Isn't that a gross? What a trend. Yeah, I know. Well, there are a lot of like super weird trends. Um, like the fake um like beauty mark mm-hmm. thing was a thing uh but the black teeth for geisha and in, for japanese women was to uh create a higher contrast between the face and um the rest of the body wow. so like you know there's no dental work during mm-hmm. this time period so most mostly everybody's teeth were like yellow <laughs> or or non-existent. like jacked up yeah. like everybody's teeth were at this time so if you were a geisha, you had a beautifully pure white face that you had made up. And if you smile, then you got these ugly yellow teeth that are like sticking out of your face. So they would blacken the teeth to really create like a look at my face <laughs> thing. Also, side effect of that, and I don't know if they knew that at the time. I imagine they did. The, um, the stuff that they used for the black paint actually protected the teeth and prevented like tooth decay. Oh, so it was actually like healthy for them to do it. It wouldn't last very long because your mouth would like wash it away. Um, but yeah, they would 
blacken their teeth and you know they would smile and it would just be like this black chasm Ooh, i don't like it i know it's very gross like when somebody takes a reese cup wrapper and wraps it around their teeth <laughs> i have never done that never done no. that i didn't know that was even a thing that's just like pretend that you are missing your two front teeth you take a reese cup wrapper and <laughs> never done that stick it right on there there you go you got a later version of a hagoro so there you go <laughs> to find out what you would look like yeah exactly as a geisha <laughs> grab yourself <laughs> some candy Anyway. There's no wrong way to eat them. No, there is not. And there's no wrong way to use the wrapper. Mm-hmm. Apparently. <laughs> um, so in the Middle Ages. So now we're getting into like the church gets into it about the, the makeup thing. And then it starts to get weird. So oh boy. in the Middle Ages, it was thought sinful and immoral to wear makeup by church leaders. That sounds about right. Um, but many women still did so. Uh, from the Renaissance up until the 20th century, the lower classes had to work outside in agricultural jobs, and the typically light-colored European skin was darkened by exposure to the sun. You know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. The higher the person was in status, the more leisure time he or she had to spend indoors, which kept their skin pale. Thus, the highest class of European society were pale, resulting in European men and mostly women attempting to lighten their skin directly or using white powder on their skin to look more aristocratic. Uh, a variety of products were used, including white lead paint, which also may have contained arsenic, probably did, and which also poisoned women and killed many. <laughs> uh, Queen Elizabeth I of England is a an excellent mm-hmm. and very famous example of this. Um, she created a look known as the Mask of Youth, <laughs> which if you can imagine... So she plucked her hairline yeah, to... plucked her hairline back. She had like that crazy frizzy red hair. Um, no eyebrows no eyebrows none she was pockmarked and just like three inches of lead paint and just like red red lips and she was like behold like (laughs) it was very creepy so the mask did they paint like their like arms and stuff too i would imagine so probably like face and decollage now i'm picturing like a cartoon paintbrush (laughs) I would imagine like Queen Elizabeth specifically, she was she, she was, was wearing pale. a lot of stuff. <laughs> she had layers upon layers. Mm-hmm. Um so I imagine she didn't bother with it. Okay. But I could see her, you know, going the extra distance and being like, no, paint my hands too. <laughs> kind of thing. Um plus I mean she was English and she was aristocratic, so she probably was already pretty pale. Yeah. So I don't know if she had too much to worry about it. But uh, portraits of the queen by Nicholas Hilliard from later in her reign are illustrative of her influential style. So later portraits of her, she still weirdly has like a baby face, like Mm -hmm. a very young lady face, even though she was at the time like 65, which in, you know, the Elizabethan era may may as well have been 98. (laughs) Um, But the, uh, I think it's called the, I forget the name of it, but it's a portrait of her and it's just her like standing there with like a black black background Mm -hmm. and on her dress are eyeballs and ears all over her dress and it's supposed to show that she is the eyes and the ears of england nope that's creepy um it's actually kind of very beautiful (laughs) you don't notice that they're eyeballs and ears until you like get close and you're like oh that's a fun print she didn't actually own a dress like that it was just kind of representational um but it's it's a funny and she's very pale in that one too um in the 16th century, women would bleed themselves to ach- achieve pale skin. Uh, mm, okay. Spanish, you get too much blood. You got just too much blood. That's what it is. The reason why you're pink, you're too pink. You got too much blood. Get it out of there. Then you're going to be so pretty and pale and dead. Um, Spanish uh, sex workers wore pink makeup to contract pale skin. 
Uh, 13th century Italian women wore red lipstick to show that they were upper class and also to create a contrast. You know, if you're wearing red lipstick, your face looks less red by comparison. Mm -hmm. I mean, in theory. Um, So now we're getting into like more of a modern cosmetic thing. So at the very end of the 1800s, portrait photography became popular. Uh, Mirrors also became more affordable at this time and more people owned one in their homes. So people started seeing themselves more often. interesting to think that like maybe there's like whole swaths of humans that maybe never knew what they actually looked like. No. Like if people were like, you're beautiful. They were like, yeah, I guess I'm beautiful. Or like you caught your reflection in a pond one year. Yeah. And then you became Narcissus and you fall in love with it. And then you die on the banks of, is this not, not what you're talking about? No, I just meant Sorry. like, like oh. maybe you just like saw yourself in yeah, you're some like water. Scrubbing oh, okay. the sheets and you're like, I'm kind of a looker. All right. My nose is, looks better than my sister's at least. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> that was not a dig at my sister. We both have very beautiful noses. And I don't have a sister. <laughs> yeah. So no shade thrown. Um, yeah. If you think about it, like uh, mirrors and portrait photography kind of worked hand in hand to create like modern uh (laughs) obsession with one's looks so there you have it so mirrors are why we have instagram exactly mirrors are why we have uh debilitating (laughs) i was gonna say debilitating uh mental illnesses but you know (laughs) that's a theory for another day um makeup however at this time was not excessively popular in fact women hardly wore makeup at all they didn't think about it it wasn't a thing couldn't afford money didn't have any money you're just gonna sweat it all off in the in the yeah in the fields factory factory there we go uh (laughs) fields or factories um so makeup at this time was still mostly the territory of uh ladies of the night and those in cabarets and on the black and white screen when movies started coming in Mm -hmm. um in the early 20th century uh face enameling which was applying actual paint to the face became popular among the rich at this time in an attempt to look paler. So the pale thing, I mean, I would have just lived. Oh, yeah. oh lived in this. Uh, like, look at my beautiful pale skin. I was going to ask you, how was that, you know, this like, is all natural, cream baby that you have. Yeah. My, my whitening. Cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is, this comes from not ever seeing the light of day. Uh, obviously pale skin was associated with wealth. Um, cosmetics, however, were so unpopular that they could not be bought in department stores. They could only be bought at theatrical costume stores. Oh, how about that? Yeah. A woman's makeup routine, uh, often only consisted of using, uh, papier poudre. Uh, is that French for powder? Paper powder? Paper powder, yes. It was a powdered paper oil blotting sheet, which we see now. Papier poudre. Poudre. Papier poudre. Um, yeah, an oil blotting sheet that we still basically use today. You can get them from Elf for a dollar. Pro tip. You can just use a toilet seat cover in a public restroom. Same thing. Or free. Take toilet paper, grab one of those plies, separate it. (laughs) Boop, boop, boop. I've done that in a stall. Oh, my God. Uh, On the weekly in the summer, for sure. Easily. Save you some money. (laughs) I Um, like the Jim Tom Sula of... (laughs) Of ladies trivia podcasts right now. Yeah. There's a whole bit on Deadspin that like it like <laughs> I'm off the rails right now, but it's okay. In the in Drew Magri's fun bag each mm-hmm. week, he does like people write in questions or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and then he writes a football column in the football season, and one of them bits in it is always like Jim Tom Sula's life hacks, and it's oh. like, well, <laughs> if you have a barrel, you're never really going to be naked. <laughs> 
You know what? There is there no truer words have never been spoken. Honest to God, that's very true. Yeah, it's okay. and you know what? You never see it anymore. So double, you get you be a trendsetter. Yeah, all you need is a couple of straps, right? Yeah, like I guess suspender straps. Oh, that's good. That's very funny. Yeah, we're doing some <laughs> we're doing some life hacks here. Um, so <clears throat> paper papier poudre. Uh, rouge was considered provocative. Of course it was. Yes. So it was only seen on women of the night. Um, some women used burnt matchsticks to darken their eyelashes and geranium and poppy petals to stain the lips. So, um, I will say, I don't, I don't think I mentioned it later in this. Yeah. So what makeup became more popular during like the 19 teens and 1920s because of movies, Mm -hmm. but it was still, um, it was still thought of as like only like actresses wore makeup or like loose girls wore makeup and that kind of thing. But girls still wanted to look pretty when they would go to parties and things. Mm -hmm. So they would find like extra ways to, so you always see like in old, you know, like old timey movies, like the girls like pinch Pinch their their cheeks cheeks to kind of lick their lips or lick their lips. Another thing that they did, especially in the 1920s was they would uh, fill their bags with like hard candy, like cherry hard candy and they would suck on it and then they would like rub it on their lips to give like a stain. I guess I never thought about that, but it makes sense. Yeah. So there is a movie again, we're doing sidebar nation here, but that's okay. This is sort of related. There's a very cute movie starring Shelley Duvall, as a matter of fact, called Bernice Bob's her hair which is based on a um, F. Scott Fitzgerald's short story. And Jeff used to play it in class every year in mm-hmm. our fashion history because it is probably the most accurate depiction of like the 1920s. Okay. And not just the fashion, but also just like the mindset of the time. Sure. Because when you think of the 20s, you just think like flapper girls and like short dresses and bobs and things like that. But there were only like a very small percentage right. of women that did that. Mm-hmm. So Bernice Bob's her hair is basically like a story about this very popular girl who lives in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and her cousin Bernice comes to visit for the summer. And Bernice is Shelley Duvall, mm-hmm. and she's tall and gangly and kind of awkward. And um, her cousin tries to like take her under her wing, but she's like, my friends don't like Bernice because Bernice is really weird. And finally, they were talking about like loose girls and like going to parties and things like that mm-hmm. with all of her, her friends. Marjorie is the name of the main girl. And she was like, I think I might bob my hair. And Bernice was like, that's a great idea. I think I'm going to bob my hair. And they're like, no, you won't bob your hair, Bernice. Like, whatever, Bernice. You're not cool. And she was like, no, I'm going to do it. So they're like, fine, Bernice, do it. So Bernice goes to a hairdresser and gets all of her hair cut off. And the reaction of the friends and her cousin is so realistic. Because if you think about it now, like the bob is like a classic hairstyle. Mm -hmm. But at the time, it would be like shaving your head. Mm -hmm. It would be like... I'm going to get a mohawk. Like, I'm so cool. I'm going to get a mohawk and dye it blue. And it's like, no, you're not. And then you go and do it. Like, your weird cousin goes and do it, does it. And so Bernice walks out and everyone's like, oh, Bernice, that looks so good. Like, and she and she's like, I like it. I, I like it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, we love it. Like, and then they're like whispering about her and everyone's like, oh my God, Bernice bobbed her hair. In fact, Marjorie's mother, like, sends her away because all the boys start paying more attention to Bernice and all of this stuff because Bernice is now a loose woman. Of and course. yeah. And at the end of the movie, Bernice is like leaving. She's waiting, like a taxi comes to pick her up and she runs into her cousin's bedroom who is still sleeping and cuts off both of her braids and throws them onto the porch. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. It's funny and it's good. <laughs> um, but it's, it just goes to show like 
trends like the the overarching trend of like a decade yeah in the you think of it in the past and you're like oh everybody had like flapper dresses and that kind of thing but they really didn't especially like in the midwest or yeah in like my grandma sm- did not no <laughs> like i don't know anybody in my family that had like bobbed hair no. or like little heels or you know wore tap pants like are you mm-hmm. kidding me like only you know sluts did that so <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying that's true but that was like the prevailing thought very few people did it but became because it was so so much of a difference from mm. the previous trends, it became like the iconic look of yeah. that time period, even though it wasn't a thing. Anyway, they would use candy to stain their lips, orange or red or whatever. Um, Vaseline also became high in demand because it was used on chapped lips as a base for hair tonic and soap. To make you smell good, you do a petroleum <laughs> base and then put soap on, and then you smell better uh, because everybody was stinky. We can We cannot underscore this enough everybody before the 1900s smelled oh bad every all the time all the time no one everywhere no one knew what good smells smelled like no no we are so hashtag blessed to be in the time of showers an axe body spray did you hear about the axe body spray truck that exploded (laughs) (laughs) i did not there were so many like the act there was a truck like carrying x body spray and it like exploded on like it got into a car accident like teen boys everywhere wept yes i mean there were so many jokes online where it was like oh no so many teen boys the next week have to actually take showers like all this (laughs) stuff um so yeah everyone stank but toilet waters perfume um were introduced in the early 1900s but only lavender water or refined cologne was admissible for women to wear so like very light scents that weren't heavy um so around 1910, makeup became fashionable in the U.S. and Europe, owing to the influence of ballet and theater stars such as Mathilde Kashensica and uh, Sarah Bernhardt. Uh, colored makeup was introduced in Paris upon the arrival of the Russian ballet in 1910, where ochres and crimsons were the most typical shades. Uh, the da- Daily Mirror beauty book showed that cosmetics were now acceptable for the literate classes to wear. So if you were smart, then you could wear makeup. Great. Um, with that said, men often saw rouge as a mark of sin, sex and sin, and rouging was considered an admission of ugliness. So if you think about it, that like if you wore makeup, that was like, I'm so hideous, I got to cover this shit up yeah. with stuff that's going to make me look better. So well, I can see how that's a... Also, in um, in the movie Chicago, you mm-hmm. know, the musical Chicago, and that song, All That Jazz, they said, rouge my knees and roll my stockings down. So they were rouging their knees, too. Yeah, they were rouging their knees to make it look like like healthy. Mm, you got some healthy patellas. <laughs> so in the 1920s, uh, Coco Chanel brought tanning back. Okay. Because she was an outdoorsy girl um, and wore, like, comfortable jersey clothes and that kind of thing and, like, rode horses and mm-hmm. stuff. So instead of her being like, ew, a tomboy, people were like, ooh, she's so gamine. She's so, like, mm-hmm. like French and, like, free. So she was the one who kind of brought the tan back, okay. which did not die out until, I believe, like, last year. <laughs> um, so rouging your knees uh, was kind of like, um, like, I've just been, like, dancing. Like, oh, I'm, yeah. I got, got the blood flowing. Yeah, yeah, I got my blood flowing. And also, I mean, I don't know, it might have some salacious implications as well, but I'm not going to make that com- that comment. Anyway, uh, in 1915, a Kansas legislator, surprise, surprise, proposed to make it a misdemeanor for women under the age of 44 to wear cosmetics, quote, for the purpose of creating a false impression. 44. 44, I know. 
So like brink of death. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, the Daily Mirror was one of the first to suggest using a pencil line or eyeliner to elongate the eye and an eyelash curler to accentuate the lashes. I don't even want to know what an early eyelash curler oh. looked like. I, You know what? I have read too many articles <gasps> and tweets about girls who have accidentally ripped their eyelashes out of their eyes yeah, by curling never their eyelashes one. in like a car or like, I don't know. Like in an airplane or amongst turbulence. Yeah. Amongst like thousands of children. I don't know. It's so cavalier. Don't be cavalier with your eyeballs like that. It's crazy. Um, Yeah. I have not used an eyelash curler ever since that. I know you're pulling on your eye right now. So sorry. (laughs) We'll move on. Eyebrow darkener was also presented in this beauty book created from gum Arabic, Indian ink and rose water. So it was essentially like pen ink Mm -hmm. that you would kind of water down and then brush, brush, brush on your eyebrows, which is not that different now. I mean, Big fluffy eye- eyebrows are the hotness right now. Thank God. Yeah, I know. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? I mean, you and I both lived through, we were in our teen we, years in the early we 2000s. We lived through the skinny eyebrow years. <sighs> like the, like the, um, what is it called? The eyebrow. Sperm. Sperm eyebrow. Thank you. I was like semen eyebrow. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Sperm eyebrow where it was like thick on the top and then like skinny, skinny on the back. Oh, so bad. Um, a man named George Burchette developed cosmetic tattooing during this time period. And this is interesting. He was able to tattoo on, for the face, pink blushes, red lips, and dark eyebrows. He also was able... Sounds early. Yeah, it is very early. Well, apparently he was able to tattoo men disfigured in the First World War by inserting skin tones in damaged faces and by covering scars with colors more pleasing to the eye. Oh, that's interesting. So I think he started out Hmm. doing that. And then women were like, uh... While we're at it, Yeah, could you just kind of like hit me up real quick? Um, Max Factor. I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, He provided wigs to Hollywood Studios, uh, opened up a professional makeup studio for stage and screen actors in Los Angeles in 1909. Uh, In 1914, he developed a grease paint foundation that wouldn't cake or crack. Is that pancake? Yes, it is pancake. Um, The grease paint was popular with movie stars both on screen and, and off, and it marked Factor's first major success in the cosmetic industry. Uh, Factor would go on to develop lip gloss and an eyebrow pencil, and he popularized the word makeup. Um, In the 1920s, he began marketing his makeup to the public with the claims that they could look like their favorite movie stars, which, Mm. I mean, that's so tempting. Uh, Even though his store was intended for actors, ordinary women came in to purchase theatrical eyeshadow and eyebrow pencils for their home use. Nice. So uh, a few years earlier in 1915, T.L. Williams started the Maybelline Company, uh, William's sister, Maybell, had uh, what he thought was an ingenious way to make her lashes look striking. She mixed petroleum jelly and coal dust. Uh, <laughs> and he distilled the formula into cake form and eventually found great success in selling it to the public. So you would take like a spoolie, mm-hmm. which as many learned leaguers who got that question wrong uh, last season where they were like, what is this cosmetic tool? <laughs> and most people got mascara, but some people were like, I, I've never seen that before in my life. Yeah. The spoolie is the little thing that you apply the mascara with that looks like a weird toilet brush. Um, <laughs> right? Is there yeah, a better way to describe that? a pretty good that? description. Yeah. Sure. Um, you would wet it or um, put dip it in like Vaseline, mm-hmm. and then you would take your cake of, I guess, coal dust, mm. which is disgusting. And scrape, scrape, scrape it around and like roll it around inside. And then you would just onto your eyelashes. And then bing, bang, pow, you have coal dust in your eyes. So there there you go. Um, 
So the movie industry in Hollywood in the 20s had the most influential impact on cosmetics stars such as Theta Barra had a substantial effect on the makeup industry. Helena Rubinstein was Barra's makeup artist and she created mascara for the actress relying on her experiments with Cole. Uh, Others who saw the opportunity for the mass market of cosmetics during this time included Elizabeth Arden. Uh, Many of the present day makeup manufacturers were established during the 1920s and 1930s because it was a huge boom. Uh, Lipsticks were one of the most popular cosmetics of this time, more so than rouge and powder because they were colorful and they were cheap. Uh, In 1915, Maurice Levy invented the metal container for lipsticks, which gave license to its mass production. Um, So like the bullet Oh, yeah. Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like a twist up mm-hmm. like you see now, but it was definitely like that was the precursor to the to the bullet shape. It was oh. just like constantly up. He made a lot of money. He presumably did. Um, the flapper style also influenced the cosmetics of the 20s, which embraced dark eyes, red lips, red nail polish and the suntan, as I had pre- previously mentioned, invented as a fashion statement by Coco Chanel. Invented is a bold popularized claim. popularized by Coco Chanel because she did not give a what? Uh, the eyebrow pencil became vastly popular in the 1920s, in part because it was technologically superior to what it had been due to a new ingredient hydrogenated cottonseed oil, also the key constituent of another wonder product of that era, Crisco oil. Delicious. So were there tweezers? Were they like tweezing their brows? I don't... Were they shaving their brows? No, they may have been shaving their brows. Well, so not so much in the 20s, I don't think. The 30s is that... 30s is that super thin line that would go from the bridge of the nose to Mm -hmm. like your temple in this soft arc. And I'm almost positive that women were shaving their eyebrows completely off and just redrawing them. Yeah. On. Okay. Um, but the the thin eyebrow did not become a thing until like the mid to late 1920s when that yeah. weird thing started happening. And then the 40s, it was suddenly like, and now we're back to bushy brows, and all those women were like, no! <laughs> thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, early commercial mascaras like Maybelline were simply pressed cakes containing soap and pigments. A woman would dip a tiny brush into hot water, rub the bristles on the cake. I mentioned that before. Uh, Eugene Schuler, founder of L'Oreal, invented modern synthetic hair dye in 1907, and he also invented sunscreen in 1936. Thank you, Eugene. Uh, the first patent for a nail polish was granted in 1919. Its color was a very faint pink. No surprise there. Um, uh, it's not clear how dark this rose was, but any girl whose nails were tipped in any pink darker than a baby's blush risked gossip about being fast. <laughs> I didn't write that. You um, want to be fast. Was, you don't want to be loose. You want to be loose or fast. You want to be tight and slow. Uh, previously. <laughs> That's our new tagline. <laughs> Misinformation. Tight, tight and, and slow. slow. <laughs> so muscular and easy going um previously agricultural workers had only sported suntans while fashionable women kept their skins as pale as possible um skin whitening continues to uh, represent the ideal of beauty in asia as it does to this day uh from 1939 to 1945 during the second world war cosmetics were in short supply oh no petroleum and alcohol basic ingredients of many cosmetics were diverted into war supply so ironically, at the time when they were most restricted, lipstick, powder, and face cream were most desirable, and most experimentation was carried out for the post-war period. We're back to matches. Back to matches. Oh, no. But I feel like a lot of these major companies, because um, the two basic ingredients of these cosmetics, they had to do a lot of innovation. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of innovation during this time period as well. Different ingredients that weren't eventually going to kill you. Um, so... 
Cosmetic developers realized that the war would result in the phenomenal boom afterwards so that they became they began preparing. Um, companies like Yardley, Elizabeth Arden, Helena Rubinstein, and the French manufacturing company became associated with quality after the war because they were the oldest established. Uh, Pons had the same appeal in the lower price range. So Pons was oh, like man. the Jane Cosmetics. That cold cream. Oh, yeah. You know what? Same to this day. If if it's a dollar fifty, it's if it's on sale, like one of those little like yeah tiny bottles of Pons, I'll grab it. Mm-hmm. It's great for removing makeup, and it still smells good. And I mean, you can't can't go wrong with it. So um, Gala Cosmetics was one of the first to give its products fantasy names, such as lipsticks in lantern red and sea coral. Ooh. I know. Before was it like you can buy one, two, or three? Yeah, red, pink. <laughs> That's it. (laughs) Purple, maybe. I don't know. Um, During the 1960s and 70s, many women in the Western world influenced by feminism decided to go without any cosmetics. It's cyclical. Everything's cyclical. Mm -hmm. In 1968, at the feminist Miss America protest, protesters symbolically threw a number of feminine products into a freedom trash can. Not thought out too much. This included cosmetics, which were among items that the protesters called instruments of female torture an accoutrement of what they perceived to be enforced femininity. Also in the 70s, um, the model Iman, who's David Bowie's widow, uh, she realized that um, makeup artists would apply foundation to her face and she always looked gray because she was so, so, her skin was so dark. And she was like, I got to do something about this. So Iman created her makeup line for women of many Right. different shades and she is credited as being the first like multi-ethnic makeup oh, company awesome. and that has only since been kind of the torch has kind of been picked up by mm-hmm. like fenty beauty by rihanna oh yeah and then every every other makeup company was like now we have 60 shades it was like where have you been for the past like right. 35 years you know it's only been Iman. um but now great great almost every like major makeup company from most price ranges Mm -hmm. have branched out they realized that yeah it's not just white and off-white girls who are buying makeup ridiculous um so here's something interesting in the u.s the food and drug administration does not approve or review cosmetics although it does regulate the colors that can be used in hair dyes uh cosmetic companies are not required to report injuries resulting from the use of their products Mm. yeah so that is my quick and dirty on the history of cosmetics. That's awesome. How far we've come. I can put on a full beat and know, well, suspect that none of things that I'm putting on my face are going to kill me later. That's progress. That's America. I'm just saying. So. <laughs> Cue the national anthem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll have An that as my flies overhead <laughs> with a, <laughs> with a mascara in its mouth. Yeah, with a, yeah. With a spoolie. Um, okay, so my quiz today, I was very proud of, is called Painted Faces. It is a quiz on clowns and masks. Whew. Question number one. Let's start with an easy one. What is the opera that Jerry and Elaine attend in the Seinfeld episode, The Opera? I'll give you a hint. Joe Devola scares the hell out of them throughout the episode. Question number two. The short fiction story, The Mask of the Red Death, tells the tale of the doomed Prince Prospero, who hides in his abbey to avoid a deadly plague along with all of his friends, even though death finds him anyway. Never say never. Who is the author of this story? Question number three. 
Pierrot is the stock clown character of pantomime, still recognizable today from his big white blouse with large buttons, white pantaloons, and white face. It's not funny, but it is art. What is the name of the style of theater he is from, begun all the way back in the 16th century Paris by a troupe of Italians? Question number four. The Kwakiutl, or Kwakwakwaku people, use masks in their ritual ceremonies, thought to be cannibalistic practices by some, but they weren't vampires or smelled like any kind of spirit. What area of North America are the Kwakiutl people located? Question number five. This soft voice singer-songwriter wrote a lovely ballad about a horrible clown entitled John Wayne Gacy Jr. Name that Illinois musician. Question number six. Don't think too hard, honestly. What is the term for the fear of masks? Question number seven. This iconic clown debuted in the early 60s, and at one point, more than 95% of America's youth recognized him. He has also been blamed for the rise in childhood obesity. Name that clown. Question number eight. The film V for Vendetta depicted a bemasked vigilante fighting for justice in a dystopian United Kingdom. Remember, remember, his mask depicts what historical figure and most famous member of the gunpowder plot? Question number nine. This idiot. Name the arguably most famous clown of the 20th century thanks to his TV show and iconic red hair. And finally, question number 10. The Venetian Moretta Muta is a type of black, oval-shaped carnival mask worn exclusively by women. Probably very quiet women, honestly. But it has no straps or adhesive to keep it on the face. How would one wear the Moretta Muta? We'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with answers. You're feel- in your quiz. Yeah. Uh, I just kept thinking of this quote that I can't, I don't know who said it, but okay. it's like, the best insult is to say, who's this clown? Because you're <laughs> implying that somebody's a clown and then and then a lesser known clown. <laughs> yeah, not not a clown not you've even a- ever heard of. No, that's funny. I really like that. Okay. How you feeling? You feeling good about this quiz? All right. Yeah, this let's clown? do it. All right. Question number one. Let's start with an easy one. What is the opera that Jerry and Elaine attend in the Seinfeld episode? The opera. I'll give you a hint. Joe Davola scares the hell out of them throughout the episode. It's Pagliacci. It is Pagliacci. It's little, literally translated to clowns, clowns in Italian. Pagliaccio is the singular. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was written by Ruggero Leoncavallo in 1892. Uh, Ironically enough, Leoncavallo means uh, lion head in Italian. Ooh. So there you go. It is the only Leoncavallo work still performed today. Yes. 
Uh, question number two, the short fiction story, The Mask of the Red Death, tells the tale of the doomed Prince Prospero, who hides in his abbey to avoid a deadly plague along with all of his friends, even though death finds him anyway. Never say never. Who is the author of this story? This is E.A. Poe. It is E.A. Poe. E.A.P. Uh, Poe describes the Red Death as causing, quote, sharp pains and sudden dizziness and then profuse bleeding at the pores. Uh, leading to death within a half an hour. Uh, Many people think it was based on tuberculosis, which was the real-life disease that took his wife, his foster mother, his real-life mother, and his brother. Bleeding at the pores? Yeah, I don't think... I don't think that's a symptom of tuberculosis. (laughs) I think bleeding at the pores is a very, like, Ebola-centric thing. You have been bit by a creature. Yeah, that is some, like, horror movie stuff involved. Yeah. (laughs) No, I... For the record, I don't think that that's tuberculosis. Okay. Uh, question number three. Pierrot is the stock clown character of pantomime, still recognizable today from his big white blouse with large buttons, white pantaloons, and white face. It's not funny, but it is art. What is the name of the style of theater he is from, begun all the way back in the 16th century Paris by a troupe of Italians? Uh, the only thing I can come up with is uh, Commedia dell'arte. It is Commedia okay. dell'arte. Um, the first performances ever recorded go as far back as 1551 in Rome and has since influenced art, theater, music, and dance. Excellent. Uh, the character of Piero is what Joe Davola is dressed as and ah, yes. uh, Pagliacci is dressed as in that episode of the opera. Okay. Uh, question number four, the Kwakiutl or the Kwakwakwaku people used masks in their ritual ceremonies, thought to be cannibalistic practices by some, but they weren't vampires or smelled like any kind of spirit. What area of North America are the Kwakiutl people located? Um, the Pacific Northwest. Yes, the Pacific Northwest. Um, I added this because uh, that was the subject of my master's thesis. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the cannibal masks of the Kwakiutl people. So if you want a copy of that, ooh, you reach out. I'll send it. It's, I did not publish it, so it will be free. Um, I just like saying Kwakwakuwaku. Yeah. Also, they have a bear cannibal god called, I'm going to try and remember this, Box Bala Waxinawai. It's like 75 letters or something insane like that. It's just like all the Scrabble tiles laid out. All of them. Like you would instantaneously win Scrabble. So keep that in mind. Box 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 Box. I already lost it. All right. Question number five. This soft voice singer songwriter wrote a lovely ballad about a horrible clown entitled John Wayne Gacy Jr. Name that Illinois musician. I don't know. Okay. But I'm going to say John Cougar Mellencamp. (laughs) (laughs) He does have a beautiful soft voice. Uh, No, that's Sufjan Stevens. Okay. I could not really like stick in. I was like, Sufjan, how do I make that a a hint? And it just didn't. It never came to me. So, okay. Question number six. Don't think too hard. Honestly, what is the term for the fear of masks? Well, I'm going to go with mascophobia. It is mascophobia. <laughs> Great. I looked that up. I was like, this is going to be too hard or I'm going to have to like rework yeah. it or whatever. No, it's just mascophobia. It's nothing Great. in Latin. Okay. Question number seven. This iconic clown debuted in the early 60s and at one point more than 95% of America's youth recognized him. He also has been blamed for the rise in childhood obesity. Name that clown. I just got it. Okay. Ronald McDonald. Ronald McDonald. Uh, Willard Scott, who was the weatherman for the Today Show in the 1980s, created him. R.I.P. Willard. R.I.P. Willard Scott. Unless uh, he's not dead. In no, which case- yeah, he's deaf, deaf, dead. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he's 100% dead. Yeah. 
we'll Google it real quick just to make sure. So I'm not like besmeagering this. In which case, actually living man. If he's still alive, no, uh, he, is he dead? No, he's alive. <laughs> Willard Scott alive, everybody. Are, our thoughts are with you. Thoughts Willard are with Scott. you, Mr. Scott. We love you very much. <laughs> we did not think you were dead. Not for a second. I felt like I would feel it if he was dead. Okay. <laughs> Question number eight. The film V for Vendetta depicted a bemasked vigilante fighting for justice in a dystopian United Kingdom. Remember, remember, his mask depicts what historical figure and most famous member of the gunpowder plot? This is Guy Fox. It is Guy Fox. Uh, the gunpowder plot was a failed assassination attempt against King James VI of Scotland and first of England by a group of provincial English Catholics led by Robert Catesby. The conspirators aim was to blow up the house of Lords, the state opening of parliament on November 5th, 1605 while the King and many other important members of the aristocracy and nobility were inside. They failed. Guy Fox was supposed to be the guy who like lit the fuse. Yeah. So he was the scapegoat and the guy everyone remembers. Okay. Question number nine, this idiot named the arguably most famous clown of the 20th century. Thanks to his TV show and iconic red hair. What a bozo. It is Bozo the Clown. He had a brother named... <gasps> you want to guess? Guess it. Ooh. Dummy. No. <laughs> no, I would think rhyming. Mozo. Oh, so close. It's Nozo. Nozo. Come on. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, I bet he's like an evil brother. No. Oh. No, he would just like, when the guy who played Bozo at the time would like have a day off, <laughs> Nozo would play. It's ridiculous. Um, his shows Bozo Circus and The Bozo Show, amongst many others, there's just kind of like many iterations, ran from 1949 to 2001. Wow. Kids were like afraid of clowns by that point in time, and too. By like the 80s. When it came out, yeah. like that was that, was that for clowns. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that I learned about clowns when I was doing research on this, the clown car bit, mm-hmm. it's not a trick. They just gut out the inside of a tiny car and just shove as many frigging clowns as they can in there. Sometimes they can fit up to like 28 clowns. So, I'm in a sidebar too. <laughs> no, please. So um, probably once a year, I get into a conversation with people about people being afraid of clowns. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. There is an awesome Collector's Weekly article about the history of clowns, starting with Ooh. the ones, you know, the the theater mm. staple uh, characters and then working its way up to present day. Ooh. And I probably send it out once a year to somebody that is, you know, of the, yeah. of the people I talk to about clowns. And I'm happy to share that with this. Please do. It's, very, it's a very good article. That's very interesting because I have, have an aunt, Aunt Phyllis. Mm-hmm. Hi, shout out to Aunt Phyllis. She doesn't listen to this podcast. She collects clowns. And as a child, we would wander through her very big her home. T- just terrifying. Clowns everywhere. She even had like the velvet portrait of the, <gasps> the crying Stop. clown. Like, yeah, like Eleanor's tear. house in The Good yes. Place. Yes. It was, and for, I just accepted it, which just goes to show my personality as a child. I was just like, yeah, this isn't weird. And Phyllis loves clowns. I just don't want to go into her den. Nothing. I don't, I'm not making any connections about that. I just don't want to hang out in the den. Also, Phyllis collects clowns. The end. Wow. So, okay. Question number 10. Mm Mm-hmm. The Venetian Moretta Muta is a type of black, oval-shaped carnival mask worn exclusively by women. Probably very quiet women, honestly. But it has no straps or adhesive to keep it on the face. How would one wear the Moretta Muta? Okay, my guess is um, that it's like something that clamps in between their teeth. 
Absolutely. There's a button on the inside of the mouth part because the mouth is not open. Okay. It's just two holes in a black oval mask covered in black velvet. Is that what no features? Is that what you're wearing for your wedding? That's 100% what I'm wearing for my wedding. Great. Um, I'm not originally from Venice, but you know what? I'm adopting the cult, the, the trope. <laughs> it's going to be great. So you would hold the button between your teeth, thereby keeping it on your face and not having like any seams, it seems wow. like, anything to keep it on your head. Um, at least until you wanted to talk or drink or eat or whatever, anything like normal. <laughs> you're at a party, right? Yeah, you're at a party. So this is, I read an article about this. I, I might actually tweet this out because it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. This was like an 18th century Venetian thing, very like site specific to Venice. Um, it was known as the mask of seduction in that the woman who wears it shows off her body seductively and only hides the part of the body that is the window to the soul or the face. So she is the silent, highly sexualized body that cannot talk or or express or eat or really breathe that well. And you've seen, there's been, um, it's like a, you'll see them in the background of like Venetian paintings and things Mm -hmm. during this time period. It's like this very beautiful woman with a very low cut thing, sometimes like exposing her breasts. Um, And she's got just like this black featureless oval with just two little holes for her eyeballs. And that was like, I mean, if a guy saw a woman like that, they'd be like, yes, ma'am, I am on it. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll tweet out some pictures of that too. Cause it's, it's cool in like a creepy horror kind of thing. Wow. But at the time that was like, that was like practically a boob job. You wear the black mask and you're it. You're all of it. <laughs> wow. So there you go. That's my quiz on masks awesome. and clowns. Thank will, you, Lauren. We hopefully will not give you so much. <laughs> no problem. My my pleasure. <laughs> um, recently, we've gotten some shout outs thanks to the Learned League Facebook page. Yeah. Thanks to all of our friends who are just shouting us out. We do not pay these people. <laughs> we do not give them any swag. We don't even have any swag. We don't have any swag yet. So One day. Maybe for Geek Bowl, we'll have some swag. Oh, yeah. We should definitely make t-shirts. That'd be really fun. Yeah, we'll do misinformation t-shirts for ourselves. Yeah. And then we'll have some swag, maybe a sticker or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you know, let us know what, what kind of misinformation swag, swag you want. You would. Yeah. You would be interested if in any, Like, having. if you want to be like, girls, stick to podcasting. We don't want your shit. That's fine. We'll take mm-hmm. it. Um, so if you want to tell us that, you can reach out to us at uh, misinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at misinfopod. Um, and you can reach us out, reach out to us on our Facebook page, misinformation colon, a trivia podcast, please like, uh, and also we are, uh, we have a website, triple dub dot And, uh, yeah, you can stream us on that oh, website. website. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And you want to tell a friend about us. We are on iTunes slash Apple podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, and a lot of other podcast apps at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. Yes. Thanks again to everybody that has given us nice comments and rated us and reviewed us and mm-hmm. subscribed to us. I said all that, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, we really appreciate it. It's really cool to that that you guys like us. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to give a, a brief shout out to um, Meg C, who mm-hmm. uh, made a, 
a contribution to our tip, oh, yes. tip jar. Gold star. Gold star listener. Um, she said, thank you for all that you do. It was very nice. So thank you, Meg. That was very kind. And we have a um, a running page on our website, too, of all of our gold star listeners who are, we are super appreciative, have um, sent us a, a little tip mm-hmm. uh, via PayPal. Um, we appreciate it yes. a lot. Thank, thank you. you so much. Well, thanks for listening, guys. And we will catch you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Triple dub dot misinformation. Nope. Nope. It is not. I just went We've on autopilot. We've been saying this for, well. I don't know. You know what? My heart's not in it anymore, Julia. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. One more time. We haven't Trip. even been recording this whole time. I know. <laughs> You've been, it's been in a long con <laughs> of just letting me, like Lauren has a lot of I'm going to let her say. tire herself out. <laughs> like a puppy. You just have me over every other week to just talk into a microphone and Steve pays me. Oh my God. Could you imagine? I'm sorry you had to find out this way. Such a horrible person.